If the U.S. government, the media, the legal system, and the church can't keep democracy alive, it's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this. Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us on a state sale. I am Lori Lattimore Volkman. I'm Brad Rayleigh. Today, we are going to hit the first of two episodes on one of my favorite topics, the news media. As the White House brings back the daily coronavirus press briefings with Trump front and center, and no experts to be found anywhere, it's important to look at what the news media gets right, but also what it gets wrong. And when it comes to Trump, so much of it is wrong because he commands so much attention and for the most part, the media plays by his rules. But some of it is an impossible ask. There are multiple scandals at any one time with this administration, mixed with chaos as well as disinformation. And that's a lot going against the hardworking journalists who have been at the forefront of uncovering so many scandals and so much corruption. Whether it was the FBI investigation of Russian interference way back in 2016, or the fraudulent charity contributions by the Trump Organization, or Trump's practically weekly Saturday night massacres of his inspector generals or anyone who dared stand up to him over the past year, or even the very recent Russia bounty scandal aimed at American military members. And that doesn't even get into the multitude of stories related to Ukraine and Trump's impeachment, or what is basically an ongoing scandal with his pathetic, chaotic response to the pandemic. So much good journalism is helping us know what is happening in all of this if we're willing to read the stories that matter. But if the recent White House press briefings are any indication, there's also going to be so much noise that takes us away from those important issues. This first episode will begin with a review of the revival of that coronavirus press briefing, a daily briefing that was halted in April after Trump suggested drinking bleach to help curb the virus. <laughs> so I attempted to watch this press conference in its entirety, but had to bow out after only a few minutes of this. Today I want to provide an update on our response to the China virus and what my administration is doing to get the outbreak in the Sun Belt under control. The team is also working night and day with Capitol Hill to advance the next economic relief package. We're working very hard on it. We're making a lot of progress. I also uh, know that uh, both sides want to get it done. We'll protect our workers, our schools, and our families, and protect them very strongly. As one family, we mourn every precious life that's been lost. I pledge in their honor that we will develop a vaccine. My administration will Stop at nothing to save lives and shield the vulnerable, which is so important. And again, the vaccines are coming, and they're coming a lot sooner than anyone thought possible. By years, if you look at the old system and look at the new system, I think by years. It will probably, unfortunately, get worse before it gets better. Something I don't like saying about things, but that's the way it is. The governors are working very, very hard, and we are supporting them 100 percent, everything they need they get. It's a, a big difference from 
inheriting very, very empty cupboards. The median age of those who succumb to the China virus is 78 years old. Roughly half of all deaths have been individuals in nursing homes or long-term care. In one study, 90 percent of those hospitalized had underlying medical conditions. Young adults may often have mild or even no symptoms. They won't even know they're sick. They won't have any idea that they have a virus. They won't have any idea at all. America's youth will act responsibly, and we're asking everybody that when you are not able to socially distance, wear a mask, get a mask. 99.96 percent of all virus fatalities are in adults. Think of that. Did you want to you want to talk about the the presser because you watched the whole four minutes of it, didn't you? <laughs> oh my god! Which is impressive. If you did, if you got all the way through four minutes, I think I think you probably deserve some kind of hardship. I do. I, too. I tell you what. For this podcast, I am going to recommend you for a raise. That's what I'm going to, I'm going to right now. I'm going to recommend you for a raise for watching him. Okay, so if we just break down a few things briefly from that presser. First, he calls it the China virus throughout. His racist, subtle attempt to keep trying to put blame for all of this on China. He also emphasizes how most of the deaths are to old people who already had underlying conditions. As if, again, he cannot be faulted for anyone dying. They had it coming because they have diabetes or whatever. And then he also works in his dig at Obama that, quote, the cupboards were bare. Which is an outright lie. His team disbanded all the pandemic response preparation the Obama administration designed during the Ebola crisis that did not become a global pandemic precisely because of their coordinated response throughout the world and their preparedness here. But, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> and then, I love how he says his administration is doing everything to protect the most vulnerable and is doing everything to protect workers, teachers, and children. Which, as we've seen the past five months, is clearly not the case. Especially now, as he's basically forcing states to make sure their schools open in the fall. But hey, he sounded presidential. He had a new tone. So all's well. All's well with the coronavirus briefing. Just listen to this little clip from Trevor Noah on The Daily Show. He has a great mashup of all of the reporters saying Trump had a new tone. So yesterday, Trump had no choice but to pull out his superpower move, changing his tone. A remarkable change of tune for President Trump today. The about face coming during a late afternoon news conference. The president changed his tone today after months of insisting that COVID-19 was in retreat. He said it will get worse before it gets better. After downplaying the virus for weeks, the president came before cameras with a blunt assessment. It will probably, unfortunately, get worse before it gets better. Oh, no. Looks like someone finally got his COVID test back. Here's the thing. I'm watching it and I'm like... Oh, they they did the State of the Union treatment, you know? Mm. They, like, yeah. told him he had to come across as in control and rational rather than get up there and kind of be angry and, and combative. And he pulled that off, as he does with that State of the Union speech every year. And it's almost more maddening because you can see what's going to happen. The press is going to focus on that tone of his voice as being different and better and presidential rather than focusing on what he still doesn't do 
in terms of recognizing the role and responsibility he has had in the lack of response with the coronavirus. He shouldn't say things like, I wish her well to Ghislaine Maxwell about going to prison because she's also supported a sex trafficker. Like, come on. He just, he still well, is Trump. When he has a different voice and isn't so combative, the press goes right along with it. I want to say one possible thing here. Uh, <laughs> Don't I, you actually, dare I'm try and argue with me. No, no, I'm going to say two things. The press things, sucks. Actually, That's it. That's all no, I'm no, going to I'm, say. No, no, I'm not even talking about, I'm not even talking about, I'm talking about Trump. I mean, okay. there are two things I'm going to say. From what I saw of that press conference, that was the most presidential he's ever sounded. And, and that's not a compliment. That's the most presidential for him. He's so far below the bar. I mean, there's nothing there that's approaching anything that Obama or even for Christ's sake, George W. Bush, that is the most he's done. And in that he essentially embraced a, sex predator of course she didn't have uh emails on a different server so i mean you can understand why he why he would, why he would. Um, but i'm also going to suggest what we might have seen yesterday was a bit of scared trump this is in no way shape or form patting him on the back for doing anything because he lied repeatedly he endorsed essentially a sex predator in a way that he has never extended any of that sympathy towards people who've been raped or have died of COVID or have been shot by the police, anything like that. So, so all that aside, but I am going to just speculate here because if I, if what we know about his pivot in March, when he pivoted briefly to say the virus is serious, we need to address this is that he was hearing at Mar-a-Lago from people like Tucker Carlson who took off his uh, Klan robe for a brief second to tell the president that the, the virus was real and he had to actually address it or he was going to be in trouble. And that we saw Trump then pivot and actually for about a week talk about the virus like it was serious. And then all of a sudden he started looking at the economic numbers and he started saying Easter and churches because his Christian people were getting upset. So that pivot, you know, lasted for a week or whatever. It wasn't even a pivot, but it was, I think, a sense of fear. I am guessing that after the disastrous Chris Wallace interview on Fox, I watched bits and pieces of it. He looks like a fucking maniac. This is the part that nobody ever actually even seemed to mention in the coverage of this. When Chris Wallace, Bill Hemmer, I think, were talking about the promo where they were talking about where Wallace pressed um, Trump about Biden and defunding the police. Yes. He's like, yeah, he's, it's not in <laughs> Get there. Get me the charter. And, yeah, give me give me the charter. And then they couldn't find it. After they clipped that, and there's Hemmer and, and Chris Wallace talking, and they're laughing at him. They're laughing at him. They're like, that did not go well. I mean, well, it turns out it wasn't in there. You know, when Chris Wallace is actually openly laughing. I know Trump watches that channel as much as he likes to bash it whenever the polls don't do well for him and whenever somebody like Chris Wallace exposes him. But he watches it all the time. Nothing bothers him more than being laughed at. Oh yeah, and absolutely. I am guessing somebody actually gave him a come to a clan Jesus moment. That's how that works. Um, <laughs> and said, I've actually got real polls and this is not looking good. And you're going, uh, you're on the wrong trajectory here and scared the shit out of him. I mean, that, that's one possibility. So the tone that we saw again, it's not to applaud him or pat him on the back for, you know, his pro sex predator, you know, not or anything like that but i th there may actually be genuine fear that we're seeing that he's scared that he's going to lose well yes so i agree watched his interview because he was expecting it to be good and realized they were making fun of him and that pissed him off you think it's 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 likely that he did get a, a talk of somebody saying hey you can't you can't just rant and rave on tv and expect your your poll poll numbers to go up i think 
people mentioned to him, coronavirus is getting worse. Protests are still happening and the American public, by and large, supports the protesters. They don't like what you're doing with the police. They don't like what you're doing with the coronavirus. If you want to do the things you want to do, you have to come across as understanding. I just don't see Trump as really buying into that. I was surprised he actually did what he did because I really thought he's too stubborn to, to buy into the fact that he needs to take on this role of saying you need to wear the mask and you need to pay attention to the right. what the medical experts right. have said. But we've heard since 2016 that if he got elected, he would pivot and there've been all these discussions and you know, and everything. And of course you and I know that that's actually never been in the case. I will say this. I think he, he acted as president, uh, more presidential than he ever has, but this will not last. At some point, somebody on the right is going to mock him for that, or they're going to, you know, say something about him, you know, appearing uh, weak. <laughs> exactly. And he will turn around. This is what he did after Charlottesville. Remember the apology after Charlottesville? Mm -hmm. And then he retracted that almost immediately and was pissed and said, in fact, that apologizing made him look weak. He will do something even more reprehensible. And I'm hoping that that Ghislaine comment really comes back to haunt him. Why does he show more sympathy towards an accused uh, sex trafficker than he does towards people who have been killed by the police or who have died by COVID? Where is that sympathy coming from? Or is he just afraid that, that she's going to actually name him as being somebody that was there? But that's my point is I don't even like the fact that we have as some barometer with Trump he acted presidential. It's a bullshit barometer. There's no reason to say, oh, well, just because he had a good tone or he didn't come across as combative, now he's acting like a president. No, he's not. He is still not taking responsibility. He's still blaming it. He's right. still telling lies right and left about the coronavirus. He's still unable to have the empathy or the accountability. He is not presidential. So to tie... Right. Being presidential to a tone of voice is this, it's another false barometer that we allow the media to perpetuate with the public. And so the public uses it as a, oh, well, he sounded good today. He looked good today. He had the right color tie today. So now we can accept him as a good president. This is our, mm -hmm. this is a president. And I know that's not what you're saying, no, but no. it drives me crazy that it's even in any tweet, any headline, any commentary after the press briefing. As soon as I heard Andrea Mitchell say, it's a new tone, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, it is not. It is not a new tone. It's the same pivoting tone he takes when he needs to get out of trouble, but right. it's not new. It's, it's exactly it's what they do when they want yeah, him to seem things. serious because they know he hasn't been. It's loser's desperation, and that's it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. And and, and uh, honestly, when I said uh, it's the most presidential he's ever acted, uh, I think the best comparison is to say, I got out of bed today. That's the most like an Olympic athlete I've ever been. I know. <laughs> that's not praising my athletic prowess. That's actually... That's, I that's realize. Lower. So I have a question for you about the media. Let's do it. Now that I'm all riled up and mad. Now that I got you riled up now. Okay. One of the things that actually makes me angry, which, you know, I am unflappable. I very rarely get angry. <laughs> um, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am restrained and <laughs> patient. <laughs> Hear this even from people clearly not a Trump supporter, not a Republican bash the media, which of course this episode is really about us bashing the media as well. 
bash it in a way that I find to be incredibly annoying. Well, the MSM, the you know mainstream media has, and I'm like, who the fuck is the MSM? What honestly do you mean by that? Because I honestly don't know what you're talking about. If you're lumping in a discussion show on CNN with uh, the reporting from the Washington Post on Trump's finances as both being part of the MSM, then that has no meaning. We might as well lump the onion in there, who has been... <laughs> really good lately <laughs> who, who unfortunately is a lot less satirical than they're meant to be <laughs> did you did you see this is a couple years old but actually on the washington redskins thing they they said uh, they changed their name to the dc redskins yes yeah <laughs> problem solved pay a lot more attention to to the media than i do i mean i focus in on the new york times washington post talking points memo people that have demonstrated that they all get stuff right and if they get stuff wrong they'll correct it but when people talk, throw out this mainstream media thing, to me, it sounds just like the old ranting about the liberal media or something. It's, it's meaningless. Exactly. And I was just, just going to say, it's the exact same thing as saying there's a liberal bias in the media. When people say mainstream media, they are lumping CNN, and they're not just lumping the CNN news show. They're lumping right. Wolf Blitzer and Anderson Cooper and you know every talk show host who is on there to do an editorial, to do a commentary. Right. And they're doing MSNBC and Rachel Maddow, and they're doing CNBC. But then they're including the Washington Post, the New York Times, and basically they're doing any media that they wouldn't label as conservative. Fox News, Breitbart, and The Daily Caller, and, you know, like some really messed up crap. O-A-N-N. Yeah. People who just started something that they called it a news network and, you know, there's no journalism background, no training. So when people say MSM, that's really just their way of saying it's the media I don't agree with. And they are lumping sensational editorial type programs that you see on TV, right. as well as analyses and op-eds in the newspaper with the investigative reports that you'll right. find in the newspaper. I've tried to tell students all the time, when you talk about bias, the true bias that exists in the news media is viewers, ratings, readers. Their bias is how can we get more readers? How can we get more viewers to watch this? Sometimes you really do have a really good investigative story that you don't have to sensationalize with a headline or with anything else. You have great stuff that people want to read. Viewers want the blood and guts, even though they like to say, why is it always crime and drama on TV and on the front page of the newspaper? Well, that's because that's what you read. And we have this documented. We know what people read. We know yeah. what people watch. And when we put stuff about the city council on TV news, nobody pays attention. And we write about laws and ordinances and issues in the city. People don't read it. But somebody's accused of rape and we read that, you know. So you put that on the front page and you lead off your, your local TV news with it. CNN and NBC and ABC, they have all done the same thing. They know which stories get yeah. the most attention. Yeah. And then they hype it up with headlines and banners and things that often are a little misleading. But even if they aren't, it's more that they focus on things that aren't the most important news. They've helped kind of ruin our education on what's news and what's opinion. And so it's all blurred. Right. A lot of people get their news first off of Facebook or Twitter. And because of that, they're not pulling it from a section of the newspaper where they know automatically this is analysis, this is opinion, mm. this is news. Try to tell people, I personally don't think bias is a deal breaker. 
um, I know that Mother Jones, for example, is biased. I mean, they, they start from a left-leaning uh, perspective. That doesn't mean that they're wrong. Uh, just as uh, if the, the, the bulwark uh, is a conservative, never-Trumper uh, um, organization, media source, they start from a conservative standpoint. Um, that bias is there. David Frum, in his writings at The Atlantic, I mean, he was he was a chief speechwriter for, for George W. Bush, starts with a conservative bias. Um, that's where he starts. And for me, I am fine with bias, uh, but it's the facts that bother me. It's the it's the and, and if you if you're clear and you're actually talking about facts, which David Frum honestly usually is, then I can disagree with him on on the meaning that those facts give or the response we should have or whatever it is. But at least I, I know where he's coming from and I'm OK with that. I'm OK with him being a conservative and arguing his piece based on facts. What I'm not OK with are those people who either assume that they have no bias or that they are uh, their biases that they don't care about facts. I mean, that's that's where Fox has gotten themselves in trouble. That's why Trump is so mad at Chris Wallace, because Chris Wallace, among a, a small number of uh, Fox reporters, actually will look at facts. Anyway, that's my little rant. On well, that. yeah, and here's an important distinction that I was just referring to earlier. The Atlantic has investigative news articles. They also have commentary. And David Frum often writes a commentary. So if you're reading David Frum, you know you're reading opinion. And if you look at it, you can tell by the magazine. They label it commentary. The New Yorker labels it. The New York Times, Washington Post, they all label what it is. So if you really look closely, you'll notice whether you're looking at what is to be a news story with facts and no opinion or an opinion piece with facts an explanation of the opinion based on those facts. A good news and feature and opinion piece all should be starting with facts. That's the true difference between all of these traditional media sources where they have journalists to understand these differences and they follow the rules in terms of investigative reporting and sourcing and taking notes and not plagiarizing and not making things up. And when they write their opinion, it's labeled as an opinion, but they still use facts to argue that opinion. The difference with all of these conservative alt-right publications and news programs, OANN, Fox News, Fox and Friends, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, that is straight up opinion. And it's usually not even using actual facts. They're using the Kellyanne Conway alternative facts. Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson are the biggest perpetuators of conspiracy theories because they are just making things up. They are the true fake media. By doing that, they've actually made it very difficult for people to know the difference in types of media. And so then they just go by the labels. Oh, this one's conservative and this one's liberal. So I'm going to follow the liberal because that's my perspective. Or I'm going to follow the conservative because that's my perspective. But then they're not actually looking at the facts and paying attention to whether the sources are coming as news stories, which would represent straight facts, or whether they're coming from commentary, which would be opinion based on facts, or whether it's coming from right-wing crap that is not based on any fact, but just based on what I want to tell you and the disinformation I'd like you to know. Fox News actually started because they felt there was a void in the conservative voice, okay? And they started with this whole mantra of we're fair and balanced, and they didn't say they were conservative news, but they certainly 
gave that impression. And I don't think they started off to be a disinformation source, which is where right. we've, we've gotten to. And they have really tapped into an opportunity to build an empire within the Republican Party. So as Fox News started to grow their audience with all these conservatives who wanted to feel like they needed to speak out against the quote-unquote liberal media, which is a joke, but whatever. Fox News tapped into that desire, and the Republican Party used it, and it became the same goal. Let's build this conservative voice, and let's discredit all other media so people think we're the only ones telling the truth, and everything else is fake news. Except now we're in a situation where people really do need to listen to the facts and to the news. And even Fox News hosts have had to break down every now and then because they've recognized, all right, <laughs> calling it a hoax and now my buddy has it isn't going to work for me. But essentially, they have ruined everyone's ability to understand all the different elements of the news media. We have news, we have opinion. They are separate. And in the mainstream media, and when I say mainstream, I mean all the traditional media outlets that have been doing this right with trained journalists from the beginning. They understand how to separate those two. Fox News has blended them completely to the point that their viewers have no idea and they think anything else is just a, a complete lie, but they've also confused it so much and our social media has blended it so much that just the general public really doesn't understand the nuance of commentary versus fact. You can have a conservative bias, but if you believe in journalism and actually looking at facts and doing real reporting and, and talking to the right sources, you know, talking to people who know, finding public documents, not just doing an opinion piece or finding people who are trying to manipulate the information, which is what Fox News does so often, right. then you have good journalism. Most of my news sources come from the written, you know, I read the Washington Post every day, just about not all the way through because it's online and it, that does function differently than having the paper copy in front Absolutely. of your face. Um, I read the local paper, which is, you know, okay here or so, so whatever. Um, and you know, I, I occasionally, I'm not, I don't subscribe to the New York times, but I, I do check in there and see what's going on. Listen to NPR. When I see people who their only source of information is cable news to a certain degree, it almost feels like that you could actually lump a lot of what they're talking about all into the same bucket of just the, uh, lowest common denominator, um, you know, there are shows on MSNBC and CNN, at least from what I've seen, that are, are, are just as useless as any of the shows oh, on Fox. Yeah. Let's talk about this fallacy of objective news. People throw words around like bias and objectivity in the news. And the truth is they don't want opinion to tell them information they need. But they also don't just want the story that says, here's some facts. Here's another set of facts. You choose which side you agree with. Because they don't really know what those facts actually mean in context. So that idea of objective news story sounds good in theory, but in practice, if a journalist writes a story just stating the different viewpoints, quoting a few sources from the different sides, those viewpoints will likely contradict and overlap, and sources will often cherry-pick the information they want to highlight 
not necessarily lying, but trying to, you know, promote their side and their viewpoint to sound more beneficial. And then, you know, that kind of journalism doesn't really help. So I would argue that the best journalism explains what the different viewpoints will mean. And this has to be done from a professional point of expertise and not from, you know, bias or advocacy. What it really is, is the reporter who has gathered all this information, talked to a lot of experts, developed a little bit of their own expertise on the subject, on the topic, so that they can easily and concisely help explain what this issue will mean to the readers. Here's what happens if, if the Supreme Court undoes the ACA. This is actually how it's going to impact you. Exactly. To me, that's what they should absolutely be doing. They should be explaining that to us. That's exactly what they should be doing. That's useful, and that's truly what news consumers want. And yet then I look back over some of the historical scandals we've had, and Lisa and I've had this conversation about uh, the Clinton years. One of the things that was actually kind of interesting was uh, Whitewater as a scandal, even the people who hated Bill Clinton, and there are an awful lot of those people, Whitewater was it was a really bad scandal to try to pick on because some, what, 30 years later, I still can't explain what that was. And I'm, yeah. a, I'm an educated person who paid attention. When the sex scandal fell into their lap, that is one thing that everybody can understand. You don't have to have a, an advanced degree. You don't have to even have taken a logic course. You can understand the issue of illicit sex and that kind of scandal. To be fair, I mean, the Washington Post was running with that story. Uh, the, you know, Everybody was running with that story because that was the story that's going to sell and everybody wants to know about it, and it's something they can easily understand. And to a certain degree, looking at our current world, our Trump has kind of overwhelmed our defense mechanism. So even scandals that should resonate um, don't because it's just this inundation. It's just like a hailstorm, and you're like, I don't even know what to do. But like the one that he was impeached on with uh, Ukraine, I think that was part of the problem with Ukraine is that the average American person couldn't quite figure out what the scandal was. Part of the problem with a story like Ukraine was our investigative reporters are finding out more information as it's going. There's a whistleblower report, then there's investigations. Reporters start digging. They start finding more stuff. More people come forward. So it's unfolding real time. And that's always hard to get our minds around. But then, as any scandal with Trump, the news media is going full force to try to report and explain and, and do it well. And then the GOP and Fox News are over there to try and discredit all of those reports. And so people get confused. And you have Trump doing his usual. At first, he knows he doesn't even know this Colonel Vindman. Then he remembers this, but it didn't happen. Then, well, it did happen, but it's not illegal. Then it's not illegal. And in fact, I have all the power to do whatever I want. He muddles the political water so much that then even with good journalism, and we really did have good journalism in that story, it's so hard for people to just nailed down what's actually going on. And then in the meantime, there's a whole other lot of nonsense happening. And so it just gets lost sometimes in everything. Like you said, this inundation of scandal. Comparing that to the Mueller report, which lasted a year and a half and was done in secret, the Ukrainian scandal was a lot easier to understand because it did unfold rather quickly. And then 
Mueller's findings were, I think, very clear cut if you are paying attention to the situation and you and you understand what's at stake and you understand what obstruction of justice really means in this situation and you understand what he's saying when he says the Russians did try to hack our election. If you were listening to Fox News all that time, what you heard was they're just trying to take away Trump's presidency. They presented a completely different story. And for the average news consumer who just kind of got the headlines, they're not really hearing the Mueller story in continuum. They're just hearing when something might happen, when there's a witness brought in or, uh, you know, there's another arrest or there's an indictment. But those, you get those several weeks apart from the whole story and they don't really have any context and they're complicated and so people just don't pay attention. And so when his final report came out, only those who'd been really following the story and were following legit news sources for that story really understood what was going on as well as the gravity. Yeah, I'm thinking that, that one of the things we've seen in the political sphere, and I, I take this back to the Bush years, in my memory, George W. Bush and before him, Newt Gingrich, but in terms of president, George W. Bush was the first president I ever saw, and he didn't do it nearly as bad as this current pile, but um, he would occasionally still repeat things that even when he'd been called out. Previous presidents, if you caught Bill Clinton lying about a policy issue and, and corrected him, he wasn't going to repeat that. And the same for H.W. Bush and even Reagan, unless he had forgotten. That's a different story. But um, sorry, that was mean. Um <laughs> But one of the things that the politicians learned, and Sarah Palin jumped into that, and even Mitt Romney, when he was running, remember his whole, I will not be fact-checked. Sarah Palin realized that she could just keep repeating the same lies over and over again. And Trump, of course, does that. And I think what we've seen, certainly on the right, I mean, Mitch McConnell, uh, little Marco Rubio, they've all kind of realized that they can get away with just simply saying stuff that's, that's false. I mean, they can just do that. And what you are suggesting, I think, there was a time when politicians, if they were caught saying something that was patently false, you didn't have to call them a liar. You just simply had to call that out as not being true. And every politician I remember growing up, even Republican politicians, would not repeat that falsehood, certainly not brazenly. You were immediate. You didn't have to call them a liar. You just simply had to sort of nudge them. And at least on that point, they were going to switch gears because in the public sphere, it's almost like the race issue. Um, it wasn't polite to just openly lie. And so you had to simply acknowledge facts. And once Newt Gingrich and then at the, when that erosion of all that kind of stuff and Fox helped with that and talk radio and Rush Limbaugh helped with that and all of that kind of happened. But Trump has perfected this kind of like he just didn't give a shit. I mean, it doesn't matter when you call him out. He's just going to keep repeating the same old lie. He did it in the Chris Wallace thing when he claimed falsely that he had been proven right on the mortality rate, uh, America being the best, which he had not been. He had not proven himself, but he will continue to restate that falsehood. And the media, instead of catching up and going, wait a minute, okay, this guy and this party, this is a different world. This party does not stop and at least adjust and at least with some sense of shame not repeat the same lie over and over again um and so the media has not caught up and i i get by the way one of the problems uh is is language in terms of how you do it i mean if you actually come out and call somebody a liar one of the problems with that 
is that you have to assume by that that they know they know they're wrong and they're actually saying something purposefully. And I know with Trump that's that's often true. But there are oftentimes when honestly, I I mean, he is so stupid and so uninformed and so uneducated and so lacking in critical thinking. There, I mean, there is a plausible argument to say he isn't lying. He actually believes that. Now, that's irrelevant in terms of policy. You don't have to call him a liar to say that is simply false. That is not true. It is not backed. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. I get so annoyed with the New York Times and NPR in particular for not being more straightforward that what Trump just said was a lie. It'd be one thing if it were rare. But we know, and it's been documented, that Trump lies constantly. He's up to, what, 20,000 plus lies in his three and a half years in office. <laughs> that's, that's insane. 20,000 lies. <laughs> and I don't think he always intends to throw out the ridiculous numbers he says or make the claim he does. Like I don't know that he, he premeditates, this is the number I'm going to use, or this is the phrasing I'm going to use. But he just really doesn't care whether it's true or false. His intention is definitely to paint a particular picture, that he is great, his administration is tremendous, Obama kept conservatives from getting rich, etc. So by always intending to embellish his deeds and smear his opponents, he lies again and again and again. It's pathological, and I think his biggest fault is just not caring one bit whether it's true or false. To him, it's creating the picture he wants to paint. And I think he just doesn't care about the truth because he doesn't understand its importance. Because it is irrelevant to him. It doesn't That's allow true. him to give the propaganda message that he would like. One of his very first interviews after he became president, he just throws out a number. I think it was related to crime in Chicago. And the interviewer is like, where, where did you get that? He's like, oh, I don't know. I just read it on the internet somewhere. And I think that statement of his was probably exactly true. He probably saw a Chiron on Fox News and yeah. like, he's not going to remember the number. He's not going to check the fact. He doesn't know the source. It's just, it's making his point. So he's going right. to say this and he doesn't expect to be called out. So when he is, it's like, well, right. I don't know. <laughs> right. That's not my job. Some but, people say, yeah. a lot of people say this. Everyone. I, I will say this, by the way, that there's a part of me that, that, is still struggling with this idea uh, that he in fact may not be lying. He actually really, in some cases either has no fucking idea, which is likely, oh, yeah. or he honestly believes because Mary Trump's book about him says that he grew up with something called what toxic positivity because of that. He, had, uh, his father, the way he raised him, you know, I don't know their clan <laughs> membership, whatever, but he honestly never learned how to deal with failure. He never learned how to deal with being wrong about anything. His ego is so fragile, he honestly cannot grasp that. He doesn't know how to deal with it. There's a part of me that actually could say that I'm okay if the media would just simply call these things to be what they are, completely false. They are completely false. What I will say in terms of calling people liars, I will say that there is absolutely no plausible deniability for any of the motherfuckers around him. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm including the Republican Senate. They all know every one of those Republican senators from Mike Lee to punch face in Kentucky. Uh, you can pick either one of those two. Um, <laughs> they know when they're saying something about whether the tax rate benefiting whom they know, they know they're lying. There is no doubt in my mind. They are not pushing some, you know, 
bullshit just based on on something in the back of their brain. These are people who are not yeah. stupid. They read policy papers. They know. They know that Trump dangled uh, aid to Ukraine to get his political needs uh, benefit. They know he's done the same thing with China. That is blatant corruption. And every one of those senators absolutely knows that that's true. And when they deny that or when they go out and repeat that, not in any way excusing Trump at all, I hope that is clear. I think Trump is dumb as a fucking sack of hair. I think he absolutely has zero critical thinking. The only thing he knows is about um, stirring up an audience. He knows how to kind of stoke people. Uh, he certainly knows how to lead a Klan rally, but he does not know anything about policy. He doesn't know anything about history. He doesn't know anything about science. He is the most unintelligent, poorly read, poorly educated, with zero thought whatsoever. But those senators, those people who are propping him up, Bill Barr, he's yeah. a smart guy. Yeah. Bill Barr knows when he told the Senate Trump had never asked him to intervene in a, in a prosecution on his behalf. When he said no, he, he was lying because he absolutely knows not only does he know that that's a crime, but he absolutely knows what happened. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I mean, there, to yeah. me, there is a... a I think a, there's a, a question about whether Matt Getz is any sort of intelligent being, but... <laughs> But he's a representative, so they're they're a little dumber, maybe. Lower bar. I agree. I, I feel like, though, it doesn't matter at some point whether Trump knows or not. He has got to be called out. What Trump does know is survival, and so he will do whatever it takes to keep himself on top. And so he does know how to keep lying. He does know messaging. He does understand propaganda. He understands the media. He does. He understands that... Sure, he can have his press briefing and CNN's going to say something and NBC's going to say something and the Washington Post and the New York Times, but he has discredited them so much. He knows he can go to Twitter. He can go all over the Fox shows. Even with the Fox interview with Chris Wallace, that was days ago. He's had 500 tweets since then. He has changed the narrative. That story about the Jets owner, like... That is a scandal, and it should be splashed across the page as another potential impeachable offense, another corrupt action by our, the president of the United States. Like, again and again, we have these major things. The Russia bounty Taliban story, I mean, like that, yeah. Yeah. that is, it's insane. And yet, what are we doing? Trump wore a mask. He took a new tone. We are applauding Trump for essentially putting on pants. Yes. Like the bar is so low and he just inundates with just crap constantly that it's really hard to separate and prioritize. Front page doesn't even matter. We have a hundred stories every day that should be front page, top of the fold, but we yeah. can't fit them all there. So what goes there? What people will digest and what people digest is simple and stupid and not very important, but easy to understand i think i think that's absolutely fair criticism our media landscape just allows trump to thrive because there's so many voices and with so many voices and only a few of those voices with actual trained journalists who understand how to vet information and how to get legit information and how to use public documents and how to read statistics and how to use experts to help them read statistics we literally actually have a very small amount of people who are doing real journalism that is helpful. And Trump knows that. And he has discredited them so much that there's enough people that don't know what's right. And they just think all media is bad, all government is bad, whatever, I'm not paying attention. 
And then he goes to Twitter and does whatever he wants to do. And then we mix in the Russians and actual fake news on Facebook and we're screwed. I agree with everything you just said. And not just because you're my boss. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I just promoted you. So I gave, I gave you a raise. That's right. Um, I mean, you're getting, you're getting like a 20, 20, 30% raise. I mean, that's, 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 uh, that's noteworthy. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to tune into the second part of this episode where we actually talk about how we can do some things different, how the media can do different things and how we as media consumers can do different things to make sure we have the most resources and the best information possible as we head into this November election. Peace out. It's time for Estate Sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this.